If I didn't mention it before, the copy of those motions and position descriptions are available for you in the lobby. So let me just kind of get that out of the way as we get started. You know, I felt a lot of pressure this week from a lot of different directions in terms of the message to share. And one of those uh, is, was fact, you know, we've been, we've been talking about prayer for a long time. I felt there was a need in some ways to give us some direction as a congregation on in terms of where we could be praying. Some of this was, flows out of Holy Week. We just had Easter, the resurrection, all the resurrection power, all those kinds of things that are out there. And some of you checked us out last week for the very first time, and there's kind of like a follow-up, and it's like, is there a reason to kind of keep going, Hope Chapel? And so there's some pressure in all of that. And then today actually is really the, the anniversary, our 12th anniversary as a church. From our very first service back in April of 2002, our first service was last Sunday in April of 2002. And I can remember what the 27th felt like back then because the service was on the 28th. It was, a, it was one of those days where I was busy, I was tired, and I was nervous. You know, we were getting ready to launch this new church. Really had no idea what the future held. Wondered if my sermon was going to connect with anybody. And, and you're kind of, and and you know, there's a lot of pieces to do in church out of a box. Now, this is actually before we even had the trailer. And so all the stuff was in the back of our van. And, you know, you get there on a Sunday morning and it's really, the, I mean, Sunday evening in this case, to set up, it's, it's kind of like a, a pit stop in an Indy 500. You know, you're just going to fly in and everything's going to happen right now. You've got, you got 30 minutes to get everything all set up. The speakers, the snakes, and the, you know, the soundboard, and the projectors, and the screens, and the children's carpet, and the children's fences and the, that we used in the, in the cafeteria area, et cetera, because we were meeting at the Chalks at Middle School here in town. And there's all this stuff running around. And then on top of that, you're wondering, is my sermon any good? And then you're also wondering, is anybody going to show up? You know, I mean, we had lassoed a few relatives in. My mother-in-law and father-in-law were there. We made our kids go. They were 13 and 11 at the time. You know, so they were going to church where they went to school, and, uh, which was a different feeling for them. And we knew there were going to be a few other people connected with it. There were some who, were, who had actually been a part of the delegation, if you will, from Sterling Baptist that had come to speak to Christina and I about starting a new church in place of Sterling Baptist and we still have one of those from that night that came over and visited with us at our home, Al Stone. He was one of the, the, the four that came over that night, and, and um, the others have, have all moved on and that kind of thing. And, and, and we knew we, you know, we, we had enlisted some help. You know, we, John Mylot, you know, we said, John, can you come and run the sound for six weeks and train our kids? We, we had Joshua in mind to, to learn how to run the soundboard and John, not, he came and he didn't stay for six weeks. I think they stayed for like six or seven years until they actually moved out of state. And Lauren Supernaut was going to come and lead our children's ministry for a while. And Joanne Botholt agreed to come and do the, the, uh, our preschool. So we, we knew we had a few bodies. And there were some who were going to a church that we were attending over in Hudson um, uh, that were going to join with us, John and Sheila Minor and, and Jim and Chris Mason and a few other folks like that. And, and, um, and it turns out we had 36 that first night. And I, I was surprised, but we had 36 that first night. I think our lowest night was a couple of weeks later when we had Mother's Day. We had like 18 or something, you know, and, uh, on that night. It's, it's kind of tough to have church on Mother's Day night, but we got through it, you know, and, and um, a tremendous experience, you know, and, you know, I have a lot of wonderful memories that flow out of these past 12 years. 
you know, that, that kind of go with the, the whole journey. You know, um, I can remember that first July 4th celebration, Ju- July 4th, 2002. There, there was a, a season in there where we, we, where we couldn't meet in the building for two weeks. You know, by the time we had gotten started and signed the agreement, the janitors already had their vacation scheduled. There was nobody to open up the building. So for two Sundays in a row, we couldn't meet in the building. We're going to hold one of those at the Mason's house where we had our first church July 4th picnic, and we had a baptismal service in their pool. The other was we met at the Jewett Road property that Sterling Baptist was giving to us. Had a little mobile trailer on it, basically a trailer, mobile home trailer. And we we had set tents up. We were getting ready to do uh, vacation Bible school and that kind of stuff. And so we were holding the service outside because there was too many of us to meet inside. Even though there's only like 30 of us, we just couldn't meet inside the, in the little trailer. So we're meeting outside, and lo and behold, that is the Sunday that John Minor decided to invite his boss to come to church. So we're meeting outside on the grass. Well, that's kind of an overstatement. It's more like crabgrass, you know, out, out, out this outside. And wh- we get there on Sunday morning, we start looking where we're going to set up, and there were anthills everywhere. There was no place to set up where there weren't anthills. So, you know, so everybody's sitting through the service going, you know, getting the stuff off. And on top of that, it was one of those days when Sterling Airport was really active with all the gliders. So about every three minutes, it seemed like, you know, this plane would go right overhead about 20 feet up, you know, it seemed like, right over the top of you. And I'm thinking to myself, when the service is over, we're going home, says, those people are never coming back, you know. And lo and behold, they came back. You know, and they stayed with us until they moved, and I- incredible stuff. You know, I, I remember the whole building journey. You know, we, we, we to use the language of, of the book that we've just read, we circled a promise that God had given us that we really needed to have a mission base in northern Worcester County where we could serve the kingdom. And we were praying for a place that would be on a major road close to the highway, that would give us plenty of room to expand, all that kind of good stuff. And, and we prayed for that for over a year. We looked for property for well over a year. We walked lots of properties, drove by even more properties. Just nothing ever materialized. And then lo and behold, God just opened the door for us to get in on this deal and to buy this land from, from the center family. And, 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 and there were, I mean, there were so many miracles through that whole journey, you know, but I got to tell you, none of them were as intimidating to me and none of them as, as, as really incredible to see how God worked than the financial challenges. I mean, we, we were a church then of, of no more than 100 on Sunday mornings. And we were looking at a project that had matured of being almost $2.5 million. And now, it's not like you can just take everybody's gift and pay the mortgage, you know, you got to do other stuff besides that because one thing is you got to turn the lights on and the heat and everything else. And so we really needed, we, we were asking for a miracle, you know, and, and God did a miracle in a couple different ways. I mean, I, I remember we had this beautiful building a legacy of hope banquet with over at the Wachusa Country Club. It's a beautiful Sunday evening and we had a wonderful meal. The kids had a great time, the alternative we did. And we presented the vision, asked people to commit and to pray. We didn't, we didn't want them to respond because we didn't want an emotional commitment. We wanted them to do a spiritual commitment. And so literally it was early May. We were planning to start, literally start the project with volunteers coming in in a couple of weeks before we really knew what people were going to commit. And, and, I, and I remember that there were really two miracles. One was we got 71 commitments. I didn't think we had 71 families, you know. 
I mean, our average attendance is like 100, 120. I think, where are the rest of those people? They're not there on Sundays, you know? But we had 71 family units. And by the time we got done, we realized that we needed them to pledge the better part of three-quarters of a million dollars or we weren't going to be able to afford this project. Now, do the math. That means that we were asking, in general, families to make a commitment of $10,000 apiece to give that over a three-year period in addition to what they were already given to support the church. And it, it, was, it was a major thing. And I'm thinking, this could not be good. And so that's what we did at the end of the service, okay? Because if you do it at the beginning of the service and you don't make it, it's kind of a bummer, right? So I figured, all right, I'll just, can you say that from the pulpit? I'll have to check that in my pastoral notes, whether you can say bummer from the pulpit or not. But, um, and so we did it at the end. And, and lo and behold, 71 family units pledged $774,000. And the final tally I got was that we received a little over 700000 like 710 to 715,000 of that 774,000 that was pledged. Incredible. Just incredible stuff. And just wonderful me- you know, memories. I, you know, we, I remember that our first office, once it left my basement, was at the Dunkin' Donuts building. You know, down here in the center of town. I loved it. I could get coffee even when it was pouring out without getting wet because you could just take the internal stairs down and walk right along the sidewalk. And not only that, there was a place there to buy lunch. They had Chinese food and great sandwiches and soda, and I gained weight while we worked out of that building. And and Claire Rulo used to come by on on Fridays to help with stuff, and she'd always bring me a big coffee, you know. And uh, she kept that habit up when she came here, you know, when we moved in here. But just tremendous. And my worship team, remember you guys used to rehearse in there, you know, and, and... and it wasn't too bad. Everybody else was close. I don't know what the tax account guy felt during tax season, but when he had clients in there, but the dance studio didn't really mind that we were making all this noise in there. But tremendous stuff. And, you know, I remember some of the reservations I felt uh, in 2003. We were about, eh, about 14 months old, and I made the commitment to go full-time and relinquish my role with the Baptist Convention of New England, which was a great deal of stability. And not really sure where all the money was going to come from in order to be able to support uh, the ministry that we're doing and, and, and for me to be able to afford to live in Sterling. And then, you know, hiring Ken in March of 2003. And, you know, it was an interesting step. Here was this fledgling church, you know, with, with not a whole lot, but we were committed to serving kids right up front. And before we were a year old, we put on a part-time pastor of students, and he's still with us now some 11 years later going from very part-time to half-time to two-thirds time to being full-time with us and, you know, just the whole journey of moving into the building and our first service and a dedication service that we did and, and then the 10th anniversary, you know, what we did back over to school, just, just some incredible memories. Some of them were difficult moments too, sacred moments, but difficult moments. You know, I remember when we did the, the funeral service here in our building for Raphael Ebenezer, Anand. Some of you remember when uh, Emmanuel Anomala, she gave birth to a, a, a child that didn't live outside the womb, and we did the service here. Remember when we did the service for Justin Albee, an 18-year-old, just home for Christmas break from his first semester of college, and died of a heart complication in his kitchen, and doing the service here just before Christmas. Remember when we did the service here for Neil Heron? There's been a lot of water under the bridge in these 12 years. 
But the thing that struck me is I, I thought about all these pieces that are kind of fitting together of, of, of prayer, and we're really trying to unleash the potential of prayer. Not, not, to, not to misuse God, but to use the gift that God's given us. You, you take that piece, you think about the resurrection power and the fact that that power now is poured out on us and through us and for us and, and the type of life. That, and it feeds right into what was the original reason why we started bri- building this bridge over the water in the first place some 12 years ago. And, and I really want to kind of take a moment, kind of just before, and you know, we're, we're going to move into a new series just immediately down the road, but, but there has been a passion that I think continues to be a passion. It, and in many ways, it, it, it galvanizes, it flavors, it structures, it guides, it, it lends the direction, if you will. The, it, it puts some understanding of, of, of who we are and what we're about as a congregation. Now listen, every church, including Hope Chapel, ought to be about the Great Commission and the Great Commandments. We ought to be about going in the name of Christ, reaching people with the good news, teaching them, all that God has instructed them, we, we ought to be doing that. And hopefully and prayerfully we are, though we clearly can be doing it better and we can be doing more of it. We ought to be about the great commandments. Love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Absolutely. We ought to be about loving our neighbors as ourselves. Every church ought to be about those. But there, there is a peace, if you will, that flavors, it informs, it directs, it guides how we pursue those things as a congregation. And they not only flow out of what we've been learning about prayers, not only flows out of that resurrection power, but it was a part of what God used in the early days to pull us and to pull Hope Chapel together and give it guidance and give it life. You know, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to John chapter 10 with me. John chapter 10. I want to read verses 1 through 10 together. I want to make some comments so we really understand the text, uh, some of the, the imagery that's behind it and what Jesus is communicating. And then I want to zero in on Jesus' statement, which in many ways has been a beacon to us as a church, where Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. Now, as we pick up in verse 10, and this is on page 911 of one of your pew Bibles, we pick up in this text, Jesus is once again in one of these scenarios where he's, he's having some tense moments with the Pharisees, and they're kind of saying, well, he's not really talking about us, is he, and that kind of thing. And then Jesus tells these two stories, if you will, which were, would just jump out of everyday life. And he says, I assure you, some of your translations have the word truly, truly. You know, and, and, and the flavor of that is pay attention. What I'm going to say is really important. Pay attention. It says, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the door but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, and the doorkeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he's brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't recognize the voice of strangers. And Jesus gave them this illustration 
but they did not understand what he was telling them. So Jesus said again, pay attention. What I'm saying to you is important. I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep, they didn't listen to them. It says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And will come in and go out and find pasture. You see, a thief only comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I've come, I've come that they may have life and have it in abundance. Well, it's just some imagery from this. I mean, what we, I think, standing out of a Western culture, we have a hard time appreciating some of this imagery that's embedded in Jesus' teaching. You know, because we, we grew up with movies about the Old West, right, where they, they herd cows, you know, they ride along the side of them and crack whips and shoot guns and et cetera, and that's how you herd stuff. And even today, I think they, they herd sheep in America, and they do herd sheep in America. They use dogs and et cetera to direct them. But that's not the way they did it in the ancient world. They used their voices to guide the pigs. Anybody ever seen the movie Pig? You suck on an airplane for long enough, you'll even watch a movie like Pig, okay? You know, where the whole imagery is about him learning how to direct, if you will. You know, this farmer's trying to direct the sheep with his voice, and they won't listen to him, but for some reason or another, they'll listen to the pig. <laughs> so it, it's an interesting, and this is the imagery that Jesus is using. Now, unlike today, where everybody has their own corrals, what they did is you'd have a village, and the shepherds would go together and they'd build one pen for all of their sheep. What they did is they built rock walls high enough where it was difficult to climb over them. And then often they would try to seed them with vines so they would have vines around the top, making it hard to get in and out over the wall. And they'd come in from the end of the day and they'd put all the sheep together into one pen. So, what, so you can envision this big half, big circle and then they would just leave one opening in it where the sheep could go in and out. And they would put all their sheep in there together. They weren't labeled. They weren't branded or any of that kind of stuff. They were all in there together. And then one of them or an assistant that they had hired or somebody they had hired would literally lie down and sleep across the opening and serve as the gate in and out for the sheep. And so when they came in the morning, one shepherd would come in, and obviously the gatekeeper knew who he was, so he'd get to walk into the corral, if you will, and he would just start calling his sheep out. Sometimes they, they sang. And the sheep would just recognize the voice and literally one by one they'd just start separating themselves out of the herd and they would just follow the shepherd out. And then when that one was done, the next one would come along and do the same thing all over again. And so they didn't use whips. They didn't have brands and separate, no dog. They just, they just led them by their voices. You can go to the Middle East today and you can see Bedouins continuing to lead their sheep exactly the same way. Now Jesus uses this, this imagery to share with us his relationship with his sheep. We learn to hear his voice and we follow him. And he is the good shepherd because he's ready to lay down his life for the sheep. And he serves as a door that allows us to go in and out, having being saved and also being guided in and out to pasture where we can flourish. And then he makes this statement that in many ways has been the, the heartbeat that kind of lies beneath the surface of the way that we try to do the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. He says, I have come that they may have life 
and have it in abundance. This concept of life and abundant living has been a driving force in many ways in the life of Chapman. Now, let me be honest with you. When we were first approached about, boy, a little over 13 years ago, Christina and I were first approached by a small group working with the director of missions here in, uh, in Mass Baptist Association. His name was Gerald Rowe. A few of them at Sterling Baptist, they were ready to do something. And they came to us and they said, we, we, we think that you should start a new church in our place. I didn't want them. I didn't want them. I planted a church before. It's a lot of work. You know? And not only that, it doesn't always go well. You know, and anybody who tells you the church planting is easy is wrong. You know, and, I, and so, I mean, I had a great role, and I, I felt God was using me. In it. I, I didn't really want to do it. Christina had a great ministry where she was serving at the, with the church in Hudson. We, we, in many ways, we didn't really want to. Besides that, I was tired. I was not only doing my regular job, I had been in an interim in one role, and I was the interim at, at our church, and, and I was just tired. And slowly over a period of time, God really worked on our, on our spirits and our souls. And now you've got to remember the stage of life we were in. Our kids were 13 and 11. Now they're old, right? But back then, you know, they, they were just little in, in many ways. And, and so we just knew lots of people. You know, our kids went to school with kids. We, they played baseball. They played basketball, et cetera. We knew just lots of people. And he, here's, a, here's a thought that God laid on my heart one day that really began to turn the corner. And he began to use to to really pull me into this vision. He says, you know what? The, the, the thought he laid on my heart was, most of the people that you know in this area, they, they know lots about church. They know virtually nothing about God. You know, most of the people we knew, probably similar to you, most of the people you know, they, they grew up as Roman Catholics, they grew up as Congregationalists, or Episcopalians, or Lutherans, or Baptists, or whatever, and and, and, and they know when to sit down and when to stand up and when to say peace with you and that kind of stuff. They know the Lord's Prayer. They know a lot of that kind of stuff. They know how to do the stuff in church where they don't stand out. But when it came down to really understanding who God is, they didn't have any idea. You know, and they, they, they had come to know all about church, but they didn't really know God. And, and it broke my heart. Because Jesus didn't come and say, I have come that you may know a lot about church. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. You know, and, and it was just heartbreaking. I mean, all of them, you'd ask people, well, you know, do you think you're going to heaven? And they'd say, I hope so, but I don't know for sure. And you'd hear the scripture just ringing in your, in your, in your, in your spiritual ears. These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, where's that certainty? Where's that hope? Where's that conviction? And, and a lot of what, what drew us and eventually kind of undergirded, if you will, all the things that we were doing to try to fulfill the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, was to get into a place where people really experience life and experience it abundantly. Now, we get the hint of what this life is couple verses before chapter 10, verse 10, where he says, you know, he says, I, I'm the, I am the door, and those who come in and out by me, they are saved. This is, we're talking about eternal life. But we're talking about eternal life that starts now 
and lasts forever. We're not talking about what happens after we die. We're talking about an eternal life that lasts, begins now and lasts forever. And that that eternal life comes not because we earn it or somehow we luck into it, but because we hear, we understand, and we believe that God has given us the gift of eternal life in His Son, Jesus Christ. And we accept it by faith, and it becomes a part of us. It's, it's who we are, and that life is ours. Nobody can take it from us because God is protecting it, and, and there's, a, there's a certainty and a boldness that goes with all of that, a, a conviction, a strength, and that was just so missing, and it was just driving my heart to say, you know, that's the word we're going to get out. You know, that, that God has intervened in human history, in the person of his son, who lived a perfect life, died on a cross, no matter how we make it look, he died on a cross, was buried and resurrected on the third day so that you and I could have a relationship with God that will last forever because it satisfies, it does something that we could never do ourselves, which is satisfy our debt of sin. It could take those of us who are imperfect and qualify us to live in God's perfect heaven because we don't do it in us, we do it in Christ. And, we're, and there's lots of theological truths that run through all of that. But, we, but over the years, no matter how we present it, whether it's using words like repentance and sin and confession and faith or whether being born again or whether we use words like intervention and admitting and believing and committing and that kind no matter what words, we, we're constantly trying to present life. Life. Life that begins now and lasts for all eternity. A life that comes to us as a precious gift from God in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. Nothing we have to do to earn it. We just embrace it and then we live it. And we get to a place where we don't know just about church, but we really know about God and the life that He's given us. But beyond that, there's this whole imagery of abundant living. You know, part of the conviction I had was that many of the people that I knew who did go to church, their experience spiritually was nothing to write home about. You know, you, you looked at their lives, and you looked at the lives of most other people that lived on their street, and in some ways there really wasn't a whole lot of difference. I mean, uh, many of them were just like the other guys who got up and went to work on Monday morning, they were just hoping they made it through the week, and they get back again. And, and you pick up the Bible and you start reading it and, and, and you pick it up in general, you read all, there is no way that God did all of this stuff so that you and I can have a mediocre spiritual experience. Right? I mean, it's not like God says, well, you know what, I'm going to do the most amazing things that not even the angels are going to be able to figure out just so people can barely get by. That's not what God wants. And and I got to tell you, I don't have all the answers, but I want to tell you the thing that continues to drive my heart, the heart of our staff, of our leadership, is that we want to try to figure out and pursue ways in which we can be used of God to help people live abundantly in Christ. That, that's, that's the heart and passion. of God doesn't want us just to get by, to somehow just barely survive. He wants us to throw off the senses of guilt and fear and deliver our lives with joy and with confidence and with boldness and with fullness and strength and purpose. He wants all that. So how do we do that? And that drives much of it. Some of you have been around a long time. You remember the imageries I used to use in the early days, okay, which was 
You know, when you serve in a denominational role like I did before I came, you know, when you call up a pastor and you want to say, well, you know, hey, I, let's get together. I want to visit a little bit, see how things are going. They always say, let's have lunch. Now, I don't know if that's just restricted to Baptists or if every pastor's that way. It was, let's have lunch. You know, they just always wanted to eat. So, you know, everywhere you went, you landed up taking guys to lunch, which was okay. I gained a little weight, but it was okay, you know. And, and so I got to know restaurants all over the six states of New England, you know. And, and some of these, some of the t- places, they still have these all-you-can-eat buffets. Now, I don't know if it's still there, but there used to be one of these in Hartford called the Old Country Buffet. You, you know, that's when you go in and, then, you know, they, okay, it's eight ninety-five or whatever, and all you can eat. And they got chicken and ham and roast beef and shrimp and the whole nine yards. And, you know, after you go to those enough, you get to a place where you really be, you're an expert at this, Right? And so, you know, part of it, you go over to the dessert area because they have lots of dessert, and they have an ice cream dispenser. And these restaurants aren't stupid. They put the little cups by the ice cream. But when you get experienced, you know that there's soup bowls back over this way. <laughs> you know, and you go get the soup bowls, and you come back over, and, and you know you're going to load it up, and it's good. So, so you get a plate to put underneath it so when it drips, it won't hit the carpet, you know. And, and you load it up with ice cream, and then you put the... I'm a strawberry sauce guy more than chocolate. Put the strawberry sauce on there and the nuts and the cherry and the whipped cream and maybe some jimmies and, you know, and it's just, and by the time you're done, it's just dripping over the edges. You know, that's the way God wants us to live. Not like we just got this little portion like at the place I went to on Friday night, just this little tiny little piece in the middle of a big, huge plate. God wants it flowing over the edges. This, pa- this past summer, Tra- Travis and Amanda were there. Somewhere along the line, Christina and I got a gift certificate to Kimball's, right, over in Lancaster for ice cream Sunday. So we go over there. You know, th- we've had it for like a year and a half. So let's go for a motorcycle ride, whatever. We go over there. We, we go up to the window. We give the guy a certificate. And he says, all right, what flavors you want on it? And so we, we, we gave him the ice cream flavors. And then, I don't know, about five minutes later, he sticks this thing through the window. And it's a plate like this. And it's like that tall. And I said to the guy, I said, that's embarrassing. How am I going to walk that across the, across the parking lot, you know? And, it, it, and Travis was there with Amanda, and they were taking the kids in the train, and so he's the only one who has the living proof. of that. You know, it's actually, if you're going to eat before of you, it's cheaper to buy your ice cream that way. Just a little hint. You can just get four spoons, and you get more ice cream than four cones, and away you go. Anyway. Just a little extra tip this morning, Okay. But that's the way God wants us to be living abundantly. He doesn't want us just to be getting by, but, but he, he wants to be changing and revolutionizing. This word abundantly, you could actually interpret this. I've come that you might have life and have a life that you're never going to believe. That would be a fair interpretation of this passage. Paul puts it this way. He says, you know, that God's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can even think or dream. You know, that's the life. Do I have all the answers to that? No, but does that drive much of what we're trying to do? Absolutely. It's one of the reasons why we're always telling you, don't just depend upon what you get on Sunday mornings. Figure out how to read the Bible for yourself. Because God's with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. I only get to see you on Sundays. You know, and, and you... God has got tremendous gifts. That's why our life groups and our Sunday school classes and our relationship mentoring groups and accountability groups are all designed and built around the idea of you being able to discover how it is God's truth equips you to live abundantly. 
And that's why every Sunday, I don't have a bulletin with me, but right on the front of your bulletins, it says, when faith meets life, that's when hope happens. It's not there because it's a good slogan. It's really there to govern us in many ways. Figure out how you can take faith, this wonderful truth, all that God's done for you, this abundant life that God's trying to give it to you, and how do you actually live it out Monday through Saturday? And when that happens, that's when hope's purpose really happens. That we have life and we're living it abundantly. We're 12 years into it. You know, when we started out, the number I used that within, within 10 miles of our campus, there's 100,000 people who live. I think there's just a couple of more, don't you think, who need to know life and know it abundantly. You know, and I'm asking you this morning to not only commit yourself to experiencing that for yourself, but to, use, to be an agent that God uses to help others to experience life and experience it abundantly. Let's pray together. God, I acknowledge you this morning that the things that really lie deepest at our heart, the things that we'd long and love for you to do through Hope Chapel, aren't things that we can plan, aren't just a matter of innovating correctly or being creative enough or just having the right tools. But it takes a work of your spirit. It's an act of your power. God, I pray that those of us who are inside of these four walls right now would know life and would know it abundantly. God, I pray that you would use Hope Chapel and the things that we do in our community to offer life and to show people how to live abundantly. God bless it because we know it comes directly from your heart. And so we can pray in Jesus' name. Amen.